warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on the three spooked girls My name is Tara and as always I am here with my ghoul friend Jessica Hey spooksters And today we're bringing you another Women's Month-themed murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I always want to say, like, lady killer, but that's, like, the opposite. So that's not what it is. She's a Black Widow, technically. So, I mean, there's that. Is it, like, a man killer? It's a man killer. Isn't that 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 song? There's, like, a man eater. That's a saying. Oh, that's what it is. It's man eater. I just, I made it up, guys. That's how we get away from like getting in trouble for copyright laws. <laughs> Jessica just changes the word. <laughs> but this is not a Catherine Knight situation. There's no cannibalism. Don't worry. Okie dokie. So we're going to be talking about Betty Lou Beats today. So Betty Lou was born way back on March 12th, 1937 to Margaret and James Dunvant in Roxboro, North Carolina. And... At this time, her parents were tobacco farmers, and honestly, they really struggled to make ends meet. They did not have the best living conditions. They lived in a cabin that was said to have no electricity, no running water, and no glass on the windows. Oh, shit. Yeah. And it was also noted that both of her parents were alcoholics, so this was not the best environment for the kids. When Betty was about three, she contracted the measles, and because of this, she became hearing impaired. She was deaf for a short period of time, too, actually, is what some of the sources said. So it was really bad. Now, eventually, the family would move to Virginia, and while there, her dad became a machinist at Langley Research Center. And this got them more established. They became a bit more secure financially. So They weren't doing as bad as they were in Roxboro. They were doing better. So with that, I'm assuming that's kind of like amped up the drinking and stuff, because obviously if they have more of a budget, you know, that kind of thing, because things did become worse at home. At the age of five through pretty much more of her childhood, too. At five, though, Betty stated that her father had raped her and she would go through sexual abuse through her adolescence. Mm. And... Later down the line, when Betty was 12, her mother, Margaret, would be sent to an institution and Betty would be left with the responsibility of raising her younger siblings since her dad 
didn't really take care of the kids. She also dealt with hardships outside of the home. She was bullied in school just because, yes, they were doing a little bit better, but I think they were still kind of they were still kind of poor, basically. So I think so she got bullied for like, you know, everything, essentially. And she had a hard time in school. She had to repeat the fourth grade. So it's just it was rough all around for her. But when Betty was 15 and a freshman, she would get married. That's so young. And her first husband, right? It's insane. I can't even imagine. I was watching one documentary and they were like, just remember, guys, back in the day, like in the 50s, like it was okay for 16 year olds to get married. And I was like, no, I don't think it was. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm pretty I had read like she dropped out of school after that, too. So true. All bad. She'd have to. Yeah. So she married her first husband. His name was Robert Franklin Branson. And Betty had said that he was abusive towards her physically, and they would separate after being married for a year. But shortly after being separated, Betty had a suicide attempt, and this brought them back together. They decided to reconcile, and Betty and Robert would be married for 17 years and have six children. Now, because they got so married so young, that puts us into Betty being about 31 mm. or so, thirty, almost 32. And Robert had left Betty at this time and said she was too wild for him. But he also got married extremely quickly after they got divorced, is what stuff said. So some people kind of are like, well, was he having an affair? Blah, 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 all of that. But long story short, they got divorced and Betty was awarded custody of their six kids. But don't worry, dear spooksters, she would find love again. And again and again and again. We'll get to that. <laughs> she moved quickly. Understatement. <laughs> yeah, right. She'd be married the following year to a man named Billy York Lane. He was in his late 30s. He was seven years older than her, and he was a house painter. They, according to Betty, also had an abusive marriage, which, yeah, this one I, I would believe. I mean, I do believe. So they split after being married for a short period of time, and Billy started stalking Betty I it's kind of confusing. She has a lot of husbands, but I believe this is the one she got the restraining order on. I could be wrong. So don't quote me on that. But yeah, there's a lot of dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so one night Betty was out, had went to the bar, got some drinks and was heading home. And Billy was following her and followed her to her home. And when they got to her house, He attacked her, so she went and grabbed her twenty-two caliber gun and shot him. And she said that this was in self-defense because he did attack her. But police were kind of skeptical, and they would arrest her because a couple of his wounds were in his back. She would be arrested for attempted murder, but Billy would come clean and be like, no, I did attack her first, So, and I don't want to, you know, he didn't want to pursue the charges, so they were dropped. And... They ended up remarried, so technically this would be her third marriage, but with her second husband. I always love those ones. (laughs) Right? I mean, sometimes it works out for people, but like, obviously not in this case, because we're not even halfway through. (laughs) No, I know, but I just love it when they're like, I always love it when there's like a person in between, too. Mm. One of the stories where it's like, this is my third husband, but my seventh marriage. (laughs) Like, how? Like, what the? Because I keep marrying the same people over and over again. Oh, God. Messy. But they were only remarried for a month and then got divorced and then he was on his way. But fret not, we are moving on to husband number three, marriage number four. 
And this time, it would be a man named Ronnie Threckeld. And they were married in 1978, just kind of for reference. And Ronnie was an auto parts salesman. This marriage would last about a year, which so far is kind of like, minus the long ass one, is kind of like her norm. And Betty had accused Ronnie of flirting or being attracted to her now adult daughters and threw him out. And during this whole altercation, she tried to run him over with her car. But thankfully, Ronnie would be okay. He didn't die. <laughs> like, he's okay. <laughs> or he was okay. That's like my favorite part. And when I watched this, like, show, it was like, I knew my murderer. Like, that thing. Mm, I watched like, that one, too. And, yeah. <laughs> and the detective was like, or the narrator person was like, and she hit him with his, or ran him over with his car. But he lived. And I was like, what? Mm. Bitch is crazy. You're not even running people over right. <laughs> but I'm sure y'all can guess what I'm going to say next. So Betty's going to get married again. We're going to go to husband number four. His name was, this is like an another, it's like quick. So it's like the following year again. So we in 1979 and she's on her fourth husband. His name is Doyle Wayne Baker. Again, short-lived. Very short-lived. So they were only married for about seven weeks. And during this time, it was reported that, you know, their split wasn't anything dramatic. She didn't try to hit him with a car, nothing crazy. That it supposedly ended amicably and quietly. Which will bring us to 1982, where she moved on to her fifth husband. So sixth marriage, if Mm -hmm. I'm doing that right. Yes. Add one to the number of (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And this is Jimmy Don Beats. So Jimmy Don was a retired fire chief and they had met at a place where Betty was a waitress. And Betty took her time with this one in her fucking time frame. So they were together nine months or had known each other for about nine months before they got married. I'm like, damn, that's longer than some of your marriages. All right. okay, (laughs) Right. (laughs) So they got married and they moved in together and they lived in Gun Barrel City, Texas. Now, things were said to be good. They were happy. You know, they were doing things on the property and all of that. And one day, Betty asked him if he would mind building her a wishing well because she wanted to make a wish in said wishing well that this marriage would be different than all her others. Aw, how sweet. Sorry, you, you normally you get to say the sassy part right there because I'm the one who says those lines. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I can do the sassy line. Yeah. Oh, God. He did. He he builds this for her. Now, flash forward to August 6th, 1983. Betty calls into the authorities to report Jimmy Don missing. She tells the authorities that he had went night fishing at Redwood Beach the previous evening and never came home. So, of course, authorities head out there to check and they find his boat just drifting on Cedar Creek Lake near the marina. But no, Jimmy. So in the boat, once they got it, they looked inside and they found his life jacket, his nitroglycerin tablets, and his fishing license. So at this point, they're worried, you know, he was out by himself. Maybe he had a heart attack and fell overboard. He didn't get his pills out in time. Yes. So they call in all kinds of teams and they like drag the lake. They search it. They search the surrounding areas, but no Jimmy Don at all. Now, a few weeks would go by, and uh, we have some red flags popping up. Betty does some interesting things. So, Betty, because her husband 
was a retired fire chief, decides to go speak to the fire department's chaplain. When she goes to talk to him, she sees if there's any, you know, anything that she can get money-wise since her husband is presumably dead. And Betty's in luck because the chaplain says, yes, she's entitled to quite a bit of money, actually. And he said that she would start getting a $1,200 a month payment plus a lump sum from his pension. And because of being, you know, part of the fire department, it's a very dangerous job. He had a life insurance policy. And the payout for that would be $110,000. But the catch with that was because there was no body, they, there was a clause in there that said if, you know, this kind of thing happened, she would have to wait either seven years or until they found his body, whichever came first. On top of that, she found another way to get more money. So that boat that he allegedly took out for night swimming, she decided to sell it. And she sold this for $3,250. And uh, Homegirl forged his signature on the bill of sale, which I'm like, I would assume because he's like presumed dead slash missing. Like if you're selling that, like why couldn't she have just signed her name? It's the wife. Would she have had like a death certificate? She'd have had to go to the the Department of Motor Vehicles with a death certificate. I know this because when I transferred my dad's car into my name, Basically, they were like, well, why isn't this person here? Oh. And I'm like, well, he's dead. And they were like, well, we need proof that he's dead. Because otherwise... Right. Anybody could do anything, yeah. Yeah, like, you could just walk in and be like, hey, I don't like this person. I want to take their car. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Which is, side note, how we lost my dad's truck because oh, of my shit. mom and her fucking asshole of an ex-boyfriend who made her put his name on, his, on her truck. Ugh, stupid. Mm-hmm. I hate people. So... On the topic of forging signatures, though, and life insurance, fun fact, while he was still alive, apparently Betty tried to submit a sneaky, sneaky life insurance policy, but it was only for like $10,000. It was something small. I can't remember. I think it was $10,000. Yeah. Nothing crazy. That's like the minimum, basically, for life insurance. And she forged his signature on that. But he found out about this and he's like, uh, what the fuck? No. And he canceled it. But apparently they talked it over and got over it and, you know, they went on their merry way. And now here we are with him missing. So there's that. Like, it's fine. It's like, you're a psycho bitch, but it's fine. You're not going to do it again. Okay, cool. So two years would go by and the police would get a tip one day that they needed to go have a second look at Betty's house because, well, they'll find a dead body. There was a man who said that one night he had been out drinking and him and Betty met and they had sexual relations. They did it. They They fucked. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like how you started like (laughs) they had sexual relations and I was like, they did it. And you're like, they fucked. It was like the escalation of like to crassness. I love it. It Uh, The best. (laughs) Yeah. That's just what you get. That's just what you get. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So yeah, they fucked. And then because you know, Betty was drunk, whatever. She bragged about having a dead body under her wishing well. So obviously authorities are going to go be like, mm, search warrant, let's go. So they <laughs> so they go. Who gets that drunk? Like, who's like, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I've been some pretty like wastedness in my life, but I've never been like, let me tell all my deep secrets. No, but it was like that fucking, it's like the Carla Faye Tucker where they were bragging about it and shit. But they were, oh. Uh... Drugs, alcohol, same different. I mean, different, but you know what people, I mean. People got to keep that shit locked up. You murder somebody, keep that shit. Apparently not. I mean, no, tell people because we need you to like go to prison and atone for right, crimes. Right, but right, right, 
in your own self-preservation. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yes, they go. They start. They do the search warrant, right? And sure enough, there is a body under that wishing well. So they continue to do their search. And they see that there's a shed. And it just doesn't look right to them. There's loose dirt underneath it. And there's cinder blocks, like, all surrounding the bottom and stuff and like that. And they find another body. What are the chances? They find two fucking bodies. So they're like, what the actual fuck? We expected one, not two. What is happening? I would have immediately dug up the rest of the yard. I would have been like, fuck. I hope they fucking place. Right? We're going to excavate everything. So they send those to get autopsy to be like, who the fuck are these people? And find out the cause of death. Yada, yada, yada. Well, obviously they arrest Betty, right? Mm -hmm. Some of her kids turn real quick and they become police informants. Three of them, actually. True. Of course, results come back in, and I'm sure you guys can guess the body under the well was Jimmy Don, which is so sad because this poor man essentially dug his own fucking grave to build that well. True. Ugh. It's kind of weird how they phrase this. So they said he had two bullets in his body, one in his skull, and then one in his torso specifically. I mean, obviously, if they just say body, it could be like anywhere else. That's not your torso, neck, arms, legs, feet, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other body was <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Doyle. It was Doyle, the man she was married to for seven weeks. So that obviously didn't end amicably. No. Even though I watched the thing about her, for some reason, it didn't compute that it was only seven weeks. I think the outrageousness of it just was like, literally, because she was over him and she didn't, she knew that if they got divorced, she'd have to move out of the mobile home they were in. So she killed him for it. Yeah. Okay. Instead of just being like, can I fucking stay here? Sorry. Yeah. That's why she killed the other dude. But Doyle also had three gunshot wounds to his head. So obviously, that's his cause of death. Both of the gunshot wounds were from a 38 caliber gun. And guess who had one in their house? Betty did. What? Why you keep the gun, lady? Oh, because in case she got remarried. I got it. Yeah, she's got to keep it for her husband number 20. It's fine. <laughs> but according to authorities, apparently there was oxidation on it. So I don't know if it was, I guess on the bullets. I don't know. They just said there was oxidation. So they couldn't say that they were 100% from the same gun. But it's like, what are the fucking odds? They find these two men's bodies buried in her yard and she has the same kind of gun. It's and pretty like fucking ten feet apart. Right. Right. It's exactly. Like, exactly. It's not like she lived on a giant ass property. What? Is that like when he was building that fucking well, he probably was getting tools out of that fucking shed. No, the shed didn't exist yet. They put the shed there later. After Doyle died, right? I don't know if it was after Doyle died or after Jimmy died because, like, that was so close to each other. It might have been before Jimmy died, but yeah. I I really hope it was, like, in my storyline, I want it to be before Jimmy dies because then it makes it even a little bit more fucked up. Like, she's watching him dig that grave. It's just fucked all around because it's like, right. there's a body on the property either way. Right. Ugh. But anyways, so, obviously, police are talking and they're like, hey, Betty, you're fucked. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 it wasn't me. I am just being a good mom. I'm covering, and this is full of, she's full of shit, spoilers. She said, so I have this son named Robbie Jr., right? Well, he did not get along with Jimmy. And the day that he died, they got into this huge fight because he had either fired, got fired or quit his job and he was living with us and it pissed Jimmy off. So then they go in the other room. They're yelling. They're these two giant men. And I'm just this sweet little lady. And next thing I know, he shot and killed my husband. And 
to save my child, I helped put the body away and told him if we ever got caught, I would take the blame, which is not the case at all, which we find out in the trial. (laughs) (laughs) So I will segue and let Jessica tell us because Betty is full of shit and fucking trash. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. But okay, the fact that her name is Betty Lou Beats by the end. But like the whole time I was watching it in my head, I was like, Betty Lou Freebush from like this congeniality. I was like, stop it, Jessica. Not this thing. Sandra Bullock is a treasure. Okay. So yeah, the trial is a little bit of a crazy shit show and whatnot. So her trial begins July 11th, 1985, which, oh my God, or like the whole process begins. And she's in Henderson County in this 173rd district court. And She, of course, pled guilty in claiming that her two children had committed the murders. With Doyle, it was that her daughter had committed the murder because she was a grown-ass woman now, and he was like, hey, hot stuff. And she was like, no, and then killed him. And then with Jimmy, with Jimmy Don, which just, (laughs) these fucking names, with Jimmy... It was that Robbie had come home. He'd either quit or got fired, like Tara said. And Jimmy just laid into him about, you know, being irresponsible and and all of these things, which was kind of like, in my opinion, it would be really weird because, like, they were all grown people. And I would think that, like, Jimmy would not want to, like, wouldn't care. That was my mm-hmm. first thought. Was like, why would you? I guess maybe if he was living off of Jimmy. Yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, because he was living mm-hmm. with them. But even still, and then the story is that the kids killed them, and then she buried them in the yard to protect her children, which either means that you are the parent of two murderers, or you've killed twice, which I think there's a higher probability of the latter. Mm -hmm. So she goes to trial, and her daughter Shirley gets up and testifies about the whole thing, which is that when she was married to Doyle, she had Shirley over and confided in her because they were like, they're like the messed up version of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Where like the mom confides in the daughter and vice versa. (laughs) And she, apparently Betty had confided in Shirley that she was just done with Doyle and that, like Tara mentioned earlier, that she doesn't want to divorce him. The only apprehension she has in divorcing him is that if she divorces him, it's his trailer. So she would have to leave. And then she goes, but if I murder him, I don't know if she probably, I don't think she probably used those words. She probably said like, if I killed him, then Mm -hmm. I get to keep the trailer. And then she does that. And then Shirley is the one who helps her bury the body. Oops. Now, when we flash forward to when Jimmy is around, Betty tells Shirley, I'm done with Jimmy. I don't like him anymore. I don't want to be with him anymore. I think I'm going to get rid of him like I did my fourth husband, which Shirley's like, fuck, I helped bury that body. So I know exactly what Mm. that means. Mm -hmm. And decides she like basically told her mom, like, mom, don't do that. You shouldn't murder your husband. And she said that one evening she called her and said, come over tomorrow. I need your help with something. And then the next morning when she showed up, Betty Lou sent her away saying, I already have it handled, which Shirley took to mean that she had already killed Jimmy. And when the children, they weren't children because they're fucking adults, I just want everyone to know. When we yeah. say we're saying like her children as in these are the 
the people she's spawned. Yeah, they're they're full ass adults. Right. <laughs> I always get the urge to hit the reset button when the seasons change, especially when it comes to my beauty routine. My hair goes into this like weird frizzy state and it absolutely drives me crazy because, you know, I'll straighten my hair and I think I look good and then I take a picture and then all I can see is how all these little hairs are flying away. But the good news is Living Proof has a reset button for every hair and texture. Everything at Living Proof starts in their labs. Founded by a team of scientists and hairstylists, each product is scientifically engineered to solve the toughest hair challenges. Never conceal them. And there's no one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to hair care. Living Proof develops game-changing formulations that have raised the bar when it comes tailored to hair care performance. Unlike other hair care options, Living Proof addresses your specific hair needs and concerns like frizz, dullness, damage, and offers unique scalp care solutions because science in action equals your best hair. I can honestly say that this product works because I have been using it. I've been using the Living Proof Frizz Shampoo Conditioner and Intense Mask Set, and let me tell you, my frizzy flyaways have definitely started to lay down and do what they need. I see that my hair is shiny. It doesn't feel sticky. I also have used the dry shampoo slash textured spray. It's great because it can give you that little bit of like extra hold when you're styling. It's fantastic. And not only do Living Proof's products deliver proven performance, but they also deliver on the promise of being silicone-free, sulfate-free, paraben-free, and phosphate-free. And they are never tested on animals. And that's a big deal for me. Living Proof products leave you with brilliant, beautiful hair that's cleaner, longer. Put science to work and unlock your best hair with Living Proof. Go to livingproof.com slash spookedgirls and use code spookedgirls to get 10% off your first purchase. That's livingproof.com slash spookedgirls, code spookedgirls for 10% off your first purchase. livingproof.com slash spookedgirls, code spookedgirls. When they asked them, like, why didn't they go to the police? She said, well, if she killed her husbands, what could she do to us? But at the same time, like, from the time that she killed fucking Doyle, it had been like three or four years to the time she got arrested. Yeah. And it's like, if you had turned her in, she would have went to jail. Hello. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Especially if you were like, hey, look, I did this. My mom, she like coerced me into doing it and I didn't want to do it. And I feared for my life. So I did it. But I came here like right after. But there had been like they had watched their mom marry another person. Exactly. and. They knew and Shirley definitely knew that she definitely killed Jimmy because like a couple weeks after it happened, Betty was like, Shirley, come over to the house. And Shirley and Robbie sat around and told her exactly what happened. They sat around having drinks going, well, I shot him. And then Robbie helped me. He dug the hole out by the well and we moved him in the sleeping bag out there. Yep. So with those type of testimonies, it did not take a jury very long to be like, "Mm, I think you murdered your husband. So for the murder of Jimmy Don Dietz, she would be sentenced to death. She was found guilty and sentenced to death. However, she was never tried for Doyle's murder. Mm -mm. It's like they just forgot about it. It's like, I guess at like one point they're like, well, she's already being sentenced to death. But still, like, I'm sure his family would have liked to have seen some justice, you know? Yeah, I tried to think of like maybe the reason why. And I thought maybe they just didn't have a strong enough case. And she was obviously, like, going to appeal her, like, death sentence. And so maybe if she tried, if, like, she they tried her for that case and it was weak, and let's say she got acquitted of it, 
then there is a possibility that she could win her appeals. So it's like my only thought mm-hmm. that like maybe is they just didn't have an yeah, that's like the only thing I can think of. So yeah, like I said, she did decide that she wanted to appeal the case and she did like pretty fucking quickly. She put it in within mere it was as soon as she could put it in. She like appealed it. So she did an appeal and then she requested an additional hearing and this was in September of 1988. And she basically wanted the court to, like, lift her conviction and retry her, but try her under the evidence, with the evidence that she had been an abused woman. That if Mm. they had taken into account all of her lifetime systemic abuse that she endured, that she would have not been found guilty because she's just fucking crazy because she's been abused her whole life. And, you know, it went up. It took a long fucking time. In June of 1989, the Supreme Court of the United States denied this motion for her to have her be retried with that evidence. And on November 8th of that year, they set an execution date. And I think that didn't stick. So they like redid it. And there's like a few times that they kept doing it. Like it was throughout the 90s. So like one was in 1990 and then like in 93. But, like, she kept appealing them, right? And so she would get to the point Mm -hmm. where there were, like, these kind of stays through paperwork. But finally, on September 2nd of 1998, she was denied. And even though she kept trying to appeal all through 1999, her execution date was set for February 24th of 2000. Not 2000 what, just 2000. I know that seems weird now because like anytime someone says 2000, I like wait for them to be like. For the rest. <laughs> and and I'm like, oh, wait, 2000 was a year. It's a great <laughs> year, Jessica. You got braces that year. You got your gap closed. It was great. <laughs> so Betty had a, when she was first originally tried, she did not have a good legal team. Like I think she probably had a public defender. She didn't have a lot of money. Obviously, she like had to wait the fucking seven years to get the hundred and ten grand from from Jimmy's death, and that hadn't come. It had only been two. So she actually had a good legal team, and there was a coalition of supporters that included domestic violence awareness groups, Amnesty International USA, and they all wanted her death sentence to be commuted to life. Like they understood that like she fucking killed two people, but like. Did she kill two people because she was a crazy, vicious woman? Or did she kill two people because she had been abused? And that's what her brain processed as rightful justice. Yeah. And they basically said that she had been in prison since 1985, or in jail at least, and that she had been physically and psychologically damaged, and that because she had poor counsel during her actual trial, and that the abuse should have been allowed in the court because the judge was just like, nope, I'm not going to allow it. And one of her daughters, I'm pretty sure it's not Shirley, <laughs> went to a previous defense attorney and actually gave him photos of Betty when she was beaten up by her like husbands mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And he just was like, oh, whatever. And wow. like didn't do anything with it. Jesus. Yeah. So... They basically were, like, trying really, really hard to get her, like, before parole board, even though she was, like, she was on death row. Because maybe if they saw, like, hey, this woman had been battered, maybe if we get her help, maybe she won't commit this again. Like, she could be rehabilitated, but, like, I don't think that, I mean, she killed two people. I understand, like, the Mm -hmm. one, 
I fucking snapped like the TV show, but like you killed two people. Yeah. Which means you have a predilection for fucking snapping, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So her daughter said, all my mama's life, she's been abused. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I know that if a jury had heard the truth about my mama, she could only have done something like this if she had been scared or threatened. I'm not saying that my mama should go for my mother should go free, but be allowed to live the remaining years of her life. Because in 2000, she was 62 years old. So like that's something to also keep in mind is that she was Mm -hmm. a spring chicken. However, to you know, flip the coin. When prisoners get to be of a certain age, they start costing triple the amount of a young mm-hmm. a young person in prison. And I mean, Texas is a very conservative state, so they always look at money over people. They said that with great <laughs> scaredness in my voice. I don't know why. Hmm. Okay, so they tried again, and because the the date was getting closer, and. U.S. District Judge James Nowlin said that the motion to stop the execution was filed as a lawsuit seeking that she was a better wife is just another example of a prisoner attempting to delay an execution just prior to the date and that it actually had no, it had nothing to do with her, like, domestic violence. He was putting the narrative out there that this had nothing to do, this only had to do with saving her life, nothing to do with, like, bringing awareness to domestic violence and what could happen. And that kind of stuff. Right. Around that time, the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles basically sent it up to the governor at the time. And the governor was George W. Bush. And if we were speaking of Carla Faye Tucker, we remember that (laughs) she was the first woman to be executed in Texas since since it had been the death penalty had been reinstated. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Betty Lou would be the second. And in true form, good old George denied a stay of execution, which, mm-hmm. you know, consistency. I don't know. I don't have much to say about him. But mm-hmm. her attorney at the time, Joe Margellis, told CNN that she was scared and that she doesn't want to be strapped down to a gurney all alone. Like I mentioned, she was the second woman in the state of Texas to be executed after they reinstated the death penalty at that time on february 24th of 2000 she was 62 years old she had five children nine grandchildren and six great-grandchildren she did not have a last meal nor did she choose to give a final statement and at 6 18 p.m central standard time she was executed in huntsville that ended the life of Betty Lou Beats and her being deemed the Black Widow. Damn. That took a long-ass time. That took like 15 yeah. fucking years for her to go yeah. to, to get to that point. Right. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. We hope you enjoyed. And we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.